0: I've mentioned in sermons before that pastors are just like everybody else. And I said I'd never undergone any ceremony where I've been purified completely and no sins abounding. And I'm here to tell you now that there's not even a ceremony like that in ordination. So I was kind of bummed. I was hoping I would be perfect from now on. um, Silas was helping Silas and Catherine was helping me fold bulletins this morning because I folded all the bulletins yesterday for yesterday's sermon and service. There were other songs that we were going to sing with my other sermon. So (laughs) I was going to preach from First Corinthians nine because that had been a passage that has just spoken to me often throughout being called and particularly firstly being called to Woodland. But as I wrote it and I went to yearly meeting, I came back and I even did the slideshow for that sermon, but I just wasn't filling it. And so, lo and behold, 9 p.m. last night, I sat down and I, I almost immediately felt drawn to Isaiah chapter 6, which is a very memorable text. If you've been a, a Christian for any amount of time, I hope that you're familiar with it. I do invite you to stand if you're able to. And let's read Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 together. So if you feel um, if you're able to stand... Let's read that together. We read In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And your sin atoned for, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Father, it's a frightening thing for me to pray to you that you might invite us into this moment that we might experience the weight and the emotions. and Father, take us to this time and place so that we can learn what Isaiah learned. Help us to be moved in the way Isaiah was moved. Help us to lean into you and to trust all of this is for our good. Father, we pray that any hardness of heart in these moments would be done away with. We pray that. Though we're hearing a loud and booming and thunderous and terrifying voice, that we would also hear the still small voice that Elijah heard and that we would respond obediently, but we can't do any of this without your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to be the one speaking and not I. We invite you to be working in our hearts to receive your word, to obey its commands, knowing that it's coming from a loving father who has sent his son to die in our stead and has taken away our guilt. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's these things we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I was tempted to do what perhaps makes most sense to most people. As I sat down to study and write from this passage, and that is just look at these words and these names and creatures like Uzziah and Seraphim. And and I said to myself, let's just skip the Biblish. Let's just skip the culture stuff. Let's hone in on the important part. But many times it is context that brings it home for us. It says in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, Uzziah was a righteous king. With a sad end, I kind of like seeing the opposite stories, right? Bad Kings with redeemed endings. But second Chronicles 26, verse five tells us that Uzziah set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, a contemporary prophet of Isaiah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. But then the chapter of Second Chronicles 26 would go on to tell us that Uzziah would defeat the Philistines like King David before him. But then verse 16 would say, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Have you ever had a king fail you? Have you ever had a leader fail you? You know, I don't talk about politics too much, so I guess I'll do it all today. No, just kidding. But in 2016, I really didn't care for either candidate for president. So I put my vote in for an independent candidate and I lost, of course, in 2020. I put my vote in for President Trump. I had been impressed despite his character flaws. What he had accomplished, I lost again. I also lost my vote in 20 in the 2012 election and the 2008 election, so I've never voted for the winning candidate. So I've joked with some people that my with my propensity to never have anyone who I vote for win, I'll be voting for President Biden in next election. (laughs) But any case, have you ever had a leader let you down? Psalm 146, verse three says, put not your trust in princes In a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. You know, we're talking about the reign of Uzziah, but before all the rulers, leaders, kings and princes of Israel, this was the problem. The very want of a king when Israel had a king was a problem. First, Samuel eight tells us that for they have not rejected you. God is talking, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they had done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. Even so, God is gracious because God blesses them with David with Solomon and many a pleasant king with seasons of prosperity and peace, betwixt kings who desire the throne for evil reasons or end up evil like Uzziah, prideful. And he dies. And I don't know if you can relate, but I can imagine many Israelite any Israelites might begin to feel like this. Well, yeah, but he was bad, but, but man, did he have to go? Well, who's next? What will happen next? Hope might die with Uzziah. Could it be that even faithful Israelites who do likely know better, who do likely know to not trust in princes, but nevertheless they feel that dying hope? Do you ever lose hope when your president doesn't win? Do you ever lose hope or get sad when a trusted leader passes or when a beloved elder dies? Or when a person you respect does something disrespectful. It is the year of when King Uzziah dies, Isaiah says, when I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He, Yahweh, is on his throne and more than a kingly throne. His throne is high and lifted up. It's transcendent. It's. Sovereign is far above the kings of this earth, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. These are heavenly creatures, creatures that remind us, that point us to, that reflect, that draw us into the presence of God, God Almighty wonder if you hear the contrast. King Uzziah died. He was a good king, mostly, so he sinned like the rest of us. And how sad. There goes our hope. There goes our kingdom. And then Isaiah feels the earth shake. And the camera pans and the perspective is reoriented. And heaven is coming into focus. And God's very presence is registering. And I dare say Isaiah could start thinking, King Uzziah? <laughs> Because the king of kings and the Lord of lords has Isaiah's attention. And these heavenly creatures, spotted only in heaven, not native to Israel, they start speaking. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is a Christianese phrase, a Biblish phrase. So let's get it. Repetition means emphasis in this language, and so holy, set apart, foreign, pure, perfect, transcendent, unpolluted, heavenly of God, holy, set apart, holy, really set apart, holy, totally set apart and altogether otherworldly in its own category of God is the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies, Uzziah died, who's going to become king? God is already king, and he has armies and armies and armies and armies and armies armies of unbeatable beings at his side. He comes in power, he is transcendent, he is on his throne high and lifted up so much so the whole earth is full of his glory. His weight, His reflection, His touch, the whole earth is full of it. Do you know that today? Do I know that today? I gotta tell you, news, the enemy, our brains, social media, somebody wants us to look around and see sin, tragedy, destruction, sadness, and justice. Isaiah's likely mourning and wondering what Israel without a Uzziah looks like, and in an instant, Isaiah catches sight and sees the reality that is always true in God, in his presence, is fullness of glory and holiness. He is and he makes everything glorious. Yes, he's in his temple here, but the seraphim proclaim that the earth is full of his glory what is glory? Is it beauty? Is it rainbows? Is it butterflies? Is it sunshine? Is it nice summer warmth that isn't almost 100 degrees? Well, in Numbers 14, God is threatening to punish his people because they are not believing him. And after Moses intercedes for them, reminds me of another intercessor named Jesus, we hear God say, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in all the wilderness. And yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. You know, the glory of God, Moses had said to him another time. Lord, show me your glory. What did God say? You cannot see my glory and live. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, this statement actually might mean run and hide. (laughs) In fact, Isaiah said, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. As one commentator states, the mere declaration of the Lord's holiness is enough to bar entrance and to forbid sight. I wonder if Isaiah is still having a pity party about Uzziah. I wonder if sometimes you and I need to be shook from our own pity parties. I wonder if sometimes you and I have, oh man, I didn't make the team. And we have that in mind. Meanwhile, we lose sight of who God is. Who God is. Oh, man, gas was 489 today. The sovereign God of the universe, whose glory fills the entire earth. That God who is holy, holy, holy. He beckons you today. Gas at five dollars or not. He has your name today. Does he have your ear? Does he have your heart? It is in the presence of this God. It is the blindness that this God brings. It is in the captivity and paralysis where the foundations and the threshold shook, where Isaiah comes face to face with the glory that kills people where they stand. That Isaiah knows his place and he cries out, woe is me. For I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wonder if he caught something. You know, he didn't need the Ten Commandments recited to him. He didn't need someone shaming him with the law. Now, sure, sometimes there might be a place for convincing someone to just see how they've sinned. But I have a feeling... When God shows up, his mere, holy, pure presence brings people to their knees. Let's pray that that God shows up more often. If a person is in the very presence of God, they don't need any explanation. They need a savior. This is the God that Isaiah was serving. This is the God of of Israel, Yahweh, who no doubt Isaiah knows and loves. But when this God reveals himself, Isaiah says, woe, his is me. That's his chance of survival right there. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You know, I think that this was my problem last night as I sat down and I read what I had in 1 Corinthians 9. I felt like I was a three year old trying to teach rocket science, and I mean that and I felt like that what I had prepared to deliver would sound like what a three year old might prepare to deliver in giving a lecture on rocket science. See, I wanted to and I always want to lead you into the presence of God, not into an arena of my clever stories. And I didn't feel like I could accomplish that with First Corinthians nine, at least today. Uzziah Uzziah is not in the picture anymore. God is in the picture. And Isaiah knows his place. Who are we kidding when God shows up? Unlike Uzziah, who again, when he was strong, he grew proud. Isaiah, the very voice and the very prophet of God, knows his place before God. You know, I I befriended a, a pastor some time ago. He wasn't. Successful at pastoring and for many reasons he left the ministry but when he was still in the ministry I remember hearing him always say and perhaps this was actually showing maybe of insecurity but I'm here with him sometimes he says he would say it terrifies me I'm supposed to get up every Sunday and speak on behalf of God how can one do that all these people are coming to hear me do you hear that from the prophet Isaiah? I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What chance do any of us have? You know, despite what comes out of my mouth on most Sundays, wouldn't you like to know what's coming out of my mouth on other days? In other times, and in other settings, I wouldn't like to let you know. <laughs> The half brother of Jesus, James, would write, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for, you know, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect or mature man able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses By such a small fire. Some of us might know something about that. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. All right. There's a good thing to read before you go to bed, right? Isaiah knows his place. He's got no chance. God has shown up. He's got bigger problems now than Uzziah dying. And then in. Instant Isaiah has moved from dreary, rainy, foggy dusk in the waste and the wake of Uzziah dying to a terrifying cyclone of power, fire and fury in the very presence of the universe maker. And Isaiah's got no chance unless verse six. Then one of the seraphim, one of the heavenly creatures, creatures native to heaven, flew to me now. I was thinking about this. Isaiah's got to be thinking, what's he going to do? (laughs) I kind of freak out when a bat flies my direction. I know a little bit more about them, I think, than seraphim. Isaiah's already counting his moments. And here is a terrifying otherworldly creature flying his direction, having in his hand a burning coal that he has taken with tongs from the altar. That doesn't sound any better, right? Is he going to brand me? What is he going to do with that burning hot coal? Isaiah is toast. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Do you feel that? That's the gospel. That's the emotional sting of the gospel. That's when nails pounded into his hands. That's when. Searing pain came up from the backside from a flogging. That's when the weight of the world tore muscles on the body as Jesus sagged when the venom of the world made it into his ears. And when Jesus cried, Lord, forgive them. For they know not what they do. When pain meets peace. When punishment meets providence, when curse meets Christ, when sin meets salvation. In the very presence of the God of armies, whose very definition of him spoken by others, blinds the room that he occupies with smoke and shakes the foundations of those who are in his presence, whose very presence condemns a man by his just being present and holy, that God forgives the man he knows condemned. Reminds me of a tax collector an extortioner, a blackmailer, a Jewish man who would, like Judas, betray his own countrymen for money, who would work for the enemy that has already conquered them. He was once caught alive, not dead, but alive at the temple. Standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Serves him right, right? Because if he looked up, he would have no shame. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled like King Uzziah. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Doesn't require much. The universe maker, this. This terrifying reality, this God of all creation with armies at his beck and call. He is a a grand canyon compared to us little ants. And he doesn't require much. He requires humility. And so far often we answer like Uzziah and we're looking at the Grand Canyon and we have the audacity to chuckle and say, I can conquer this. I bet I could jump over it. (laughs) The prophet of God, Isaiah, lover of God. Knows his place, and because he knows his place, God's showing up at his house today in power to save and not to judge. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Do you know that today? The king died, the king who brought us so much prosperity and so much peace. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. That's better news. That's more imminent news. That's more important news. It reminds me of another story. Hey, Jesus, did you hear about Pilate? He murdered some worshipers at the temple. Jesus replies Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, You will all likewise perish or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Yeesh, Jesus. You seem to be more concerned about sins and forgiveness and repenting than the stuff I'm interested in. We lost Uzziah, he was a great king. There was a tragedy at the temple. All the news sources are buzzing and sending us notifications on our phone. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Why talk about that? Because that will save lives. That will bring hope. That will change focus. That will reorient hearts and minds from curse to Christ, from sin to salvation, from dark to light, from lies to truth, from waywardness to the way. And this is what God wants in the wake of salvation. What's next? This is what God wants when someone gets it, when someone is able to realize that their little problem or even their world's big problem is no match for God. Like I said, it's like a dreary rainstorm complete with a melancholy nerd staring out the window. That was that was Isaiah with worrying about Uzziah. And it's in contrast to this violent tornado that's ripping a house off its foundations. And it's all happened so fast that the nerds left standing in the presence of what did such a thing. And the nerd, Isaiah, knew his place and God, taking note of his humility and his honesty, forgave him. And then Isaiah says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. What God wants to pick people for his team is only one thing. Humility. Humility. Honesty comes easily out of humility. You realize that God wants the guy with unclean lips? Who wants that guy? And you might be saying, hum- Humility, where do you get humility out of here I am, send me? I get humility out of that because that's trust. If Isaiah had an accurate judgment of his state, a man of, a, of unclean lips, he also had an accurate assessment of God's salvation. God touched him, God changed him, and if God touched him and forgave him and changed him, then God has Isaiah's confidence to send him. I wonder if that's the problem for many of us. We profess this. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not qualified. I'm such a sinner. And Christ shows up, forgives us. Thank you, Jesus. I believe it. I'm saved. But then we do this. I'm still a man of unclean lips, man. I'm so rotten. I sin so much. No, have a little confidence in the God who saved you. Well, Kevin, we still sin. Yeah, and Jesus still saves, doesn't he? The Spirit still lives. The Spirit still leads and guides and talks, doesn't he? But I'm not qualified. I'll be too busy hiding under a rock or playing with my sins on any mission that God might call me to, domestic or foreign. So are you sure that you've met the right God? The smoke, breathing, earthquake, shattering, thunder, yelling, holy, 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 earth-filling, glory, God. That one, did you get the right number? Because if that guy talks to you, you better listen. If that guy says you're saved, you're saved. If that God asks, who will go for us and you're the only one in the room, he's dropping a hint. (laughs) And if you can trust him to save you, can you trust him to send you? Kevin, what are you saying? Are you saying that God might be calling me to go on a missions trip or move or switch careers? Or is it just a witness to my neighbor? Or and my answer is yep. All of the above. You know, I sometimes wonder if we think God only shows up in big cities, or to old dead prophets at temples, and not to real living people today in woodland. What if God's calling you to something drastic? I'm not saying that he is, but just what if what if the God who's in this story in Isaiah six still exists? And what if he calls people like he called Isaiah? What if he calls ordinary people like he called Peter and Paul? You know, if every one of you came back to me next week and say, well, I got plans, but I have to leave Woodland. God's calling me to serve at," I would be the happiest unemployed person ever. (laughs) What does this God want with you? What does he want with you? If if this smoke room filling, fiery, terrifying God at least motivates you to love someone who was previously unlovable, that is a win. And that's a win in the best degree. All I'm saying is, if you love him, listen to him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, as a kid who grew up in the church and knows a lot of Bible stories by heart, sometimes I just read through passages quickly and it never hits me. Never. Isaiah saw you. That was a terrifying thing. And it was an amazing thing because the moment he shook and was scared under his terror, you forgave him. Father, you still live and breathe and move today. You're still saving, you're still calling, and you're still sending. Father, would you put it in our hearts that we can dream big because we serve a big God. Would you put it in our hearts that there are people that are around us, that we're not here to just soak up every Sunday and go about our business every week and come back every Sunday, but we're here to, because we're sent. Paul would say that we're all living in our boundaries and our times for a purpose. Help us, Father, to obey you. Sometimes you're not calling us to be a prophet to a nation that's not going to listen, but maybe you're all calling us to be a friend to a neighbor that may one day listen. Or even if he doesn't listen, you're still calling us to love someone, to reach out to someone, speak to someone. Holy Spirit, I pray that if any of us are not even in the sin stage, we're still back in the called and we need to be saved. Father, if if we feel the weight of our sin and, and if we wonder, are we saved? Are we forgiven? This is a message to say yes. All you need to do is put your trust in my son Jesus who died for your sins, who took upon your sins at the cross and died for them. And then he rose again, showing that he conquered the grave. And he extends the invitation and he says, I paid your punishment. So, Father, if, if that's where we're at, I pray that people would put their faith and trust in you today. We ask that you would give them and give all of us the Holy Spirit. That we would move forward knowing that we're owned by you, that we're your son or daughter. Father, thank you that you're not an angry taskmaster king, but also you say you are my friends. That you're both sovereign and you're familiar with us. And now, Father, I would just pray for the off, uh, the. Potluck we're about to enjoy, that you would bless the hands that have prepared the food, that you would bless our time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.